Today we have Angie Averd Turner. She's a lawyer, a creative lawyer. So if you are creative or you know somebody that is creative, you have a business, this is an episode for you. She shares so much of herself and she is worth every single second of your time. So join us today as we talk with Angie Averd Turner, creative lawyer. Hi. Take two. <laughs> Take two. Oh my gosh. So it sounds better. Does it? Yeah, it- it's okay. I don't know what happened. I don't know. I don't understand all this stuff. <laughs> I don't I don't either. I'm I'm cowboying it as Will Hart says. I'm just winging it. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm a creative, so I learn by doing. If I were to sit there and watch a video or listen to a class on somebody telling me how to do anything. I would, unless I'm actively doing it with them while I'm doing it, it goes in one ear and out the other. I glaze over. I can't handle it. So I just have to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Which explains my daughter. how <laughs> She does things a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's like, no, no, I don't. Don't show me. Don't show me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we just do. We and do. I have yeah. one like that. She's like, just let me do it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am so excited to talk to you. I think you're my, one of my new obsessions. I can't handle <laughs> it. I'm overwhelmed with emotions. I don't know where to begin. I don't even know what to ask you. So we'll start with who, like, I just need to, I need to know more about you. Okay. So, um, my name is Angie Turner and I'm an attorney for creatives Um, I live in Georgia with my husband and I have three children and um, I have a boutique law practice that I began about, eh, it's it's been a little over 10 years now. And um, the way that came about was uh, I have been an attorney for over 20 years, but passed the bar and we moved, we moved back here to Georgia. We had lived in Michigan previously and I had always sort of had this creative side, so that was always sort of playing in the background. Um, But anyway, I um, interviewed with some firms in my hometown and, you know, I had high hopes, full expectations of, of being hired. And what I was met with was like, well, you can intern for us or you can work for us, but we, we can hire you, but we can't pay you. And I was like, okay, well, that's not exactly what I thought was going to happen after I passed the bar. So I, I just decided, um, I came home and I I was frustrated and I, I'm somebody who does not like, I don't like negativity. I mean, a lot of people don't. So, um, but I just, I was like, I don't want to be that statistic of, okay, you know, I started practicing law. I settled for something I really wasn't, really didn't want to do because I had to, or because someone told me I had to. And then just, you know, over time would become miserable. I didn't want to be that person because there are a lot of people like that in the law. A lot of people like think going to law school is one thing. They, then they go through with it because they're like, I don't want to quit or I want to keep going, or maybe it'll get better or whatever the reasons are. And then, you know, they get through it and they're not really clear on what they want to do with it. And and that's tricky. And I don't, you know, that's a whole other discussion on who's, you know, 
who should bear that burden of figuring all that, helping pe- helping law students figure all that out. But anyway, um, I didn't want to be that statistic. I didn't want to be cynical. I didn't want to be, you know, jaded. I, I'm a pretty upbeat person. So, so I came home and I told my husband, I was like, I am not practicing, <laughs> and, you know, and you could hear his jaw drop probably in Texas, you know, I mean, yeah. He was like, what do you mean? And so um, at that time, it wasn't necessary for me. You know, we weren't depending on my paycheck necessarily. So I had some margin. And that's when I really began sort of exploring this other side that I had that was creative. And uh, I started teaching myself Adobe. Husband is the one that's like, he's got the design degrees. He's got an interior design degree and a furniture design degree. So he's legitimately creative. I mean, I'm creative too, but he has the degrees to back it up. I don't. But anyway, um, so I started teaching myself Adobe and started working on these just just designs. I didn't even really know what I was going to do with it. And um, long story short, I decided to start a creative business. I did. And then I ran that for 10 years, grew it. You know, I started it really in a very naive way, not even thinking that, I mean, I didn't think I would fail, but I didn't think it would be as successful as it was. I mean, we were in 46 states. We were in, you know, U.S. territories, other countries. Um, We had 2,500 retail stores that we sold to. We were in catalogs and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, um, so didn't really see that coming. And (laughs) what, what, wait a minute, what, what was your creative business? Are you allowed to disclose that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, so I started a business, it started with stationery, but then it was grew from stationery to other gift products. So we had about 80 different gift products. And I mean, you know, I mean, anywhere from, you know, several different stationery type products, folded notes, we had these cute little minis that um, were like gift enclosure cards, and they had everything had color, everything had pattern, everything was packaged with a coordinating ribbon. And so like, when you when you gave it as a gift, you didn't have to you didn't have to wrap it because it was already so cute and the wrap and you know as it was packaged. Um, but but also when you walked into a store, you know I I was so careful about how is this going to look when it's displayed in the retail space. You know I want people to automatically the minute they just even glance that way they know like oh I want to go that direction or oh I know what brand that is because it's so like, recognizable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and coordinated and pulled together as you know, my full disclosure, I had, um, I have family who, who were in retail, um, not immediate family, but so I had some knowledge of how that worked. And then my husband's family, um, has owned furniture stores for over a hundred years, literally over a hundred years. And so, so, you know, I had gained a lot of knowledge just from just really by osmosis, just being in and around, you know, and listening and just listening and and absorbing and and observing. And um, so, so I had a real clear vision in terms of like the, you know, what I wanted it to look like, what I wanted people's reactions to be when I created the products, but we moved. So it was stationary, but it also was more like an impulse buy or um, a quick pickup gift kind of thing. It wasn't stationary, like, oh, I'm going to go and pick out my stationary wardrobe. You know, it wasn't that. Um, So it was more gifty. Yeah, it looked like a little happen upon. Yes, yeah. And uh, so then we, you know, we expanded. We had thermal cups, we had mugs, we had, um, you know, luggage tags. Um, I, I don't know. We had all kinds of stuff calendars. Um, you had um, everything. So, yeah. y'all had that, so y'all had that business and 
and you quit law, like you just passed the bar and then didn't find a job opportunity that like spoke to you. So then you started doing yeah. your creative company. Yep. So y'all did that. And then, and then what, how did that lead to practicing right. law? Right. So, so we did that. We were doing that for about 10 years and, and grew it. And um, for anybody that is interested in being in wholesale, you really have to sort of know that what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> and I thought I did. Um, but, you know, you just have to be prepared. And, and you know, this was before social media. So yeah, that I think impacts how people do business today. And there's so many great platforms that you can show your things virtually where you'd actually don't have to be at a trade show. But when we were running our business, we were going to trade shows. And so, and once you get kind of on that wheel, you have to, you have to keep running it, you know, mm -hmm. because that's where the orders come from. I mean, you get reorders, but, but that's where the orders come from. That's where new, you know, potential customers come from. And so, and so we were traveling quite a bit um, so much so that the headmaster at my oldest at her school um, he said she can't miss any more school or else we can't pass her through because she was traveling with us. We had our children and they would travel with us. And so, okay. you know, that was a whole nother, <laughs> that was a whole nother thing, um, which, which ended up, um, we made the decision to homeschool, which we could talk about, talk about that, you know, separately. But anyway, um, so all of these things sort of began factoring into our decision, like, okay, we're traveling a lot. We have, we have these children. This is not really the family life that we had envisioned. And so, um, and also we were in the midst of a recession. We were like, okay, maybe this is a good time to pivot out of this, this whole setup, you know, and, you know, be more in stealth mode and simplify and just, you know, make things a little easier in terms of the travel. And so, because we were traveling to Atlanta a lot, and then we were also traveling to New York and Dallas quite a bit. And so that was, you know, that's a lot. So, that is a lot. Where's your home base? So we're in Georgia, but we're near Tallahassee, Florida. So we're not, we're a good three and a half hours out from Atlanta. So, um, so we're in a little small town. Um about 50, 50 miles from, from Tallahassee, Florida. Um, so traveling all over with your babies. Yeah. And so, you know, again, I mean, that works for some people. It just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit for us and that, it, but, but you can't just be like, okay, we're going to quit this business and you know, the end. So, <laughs> so we had to make a plan and sort of get, get our, you know, ducks in a row. And um, it just seemed like a good, a good idea to do that. And so, but we didn't really, I mean, it was kind of like, okay, we need to figure something out. My husband's like, well, you could practice law. And I was like, yeah, I could, <laughs> but I don't want to yeah. do it. I don't want to do it the way I didn't want to do it in the way that I didn't want to do it 10 years ago, you know? And um, so it was a little daunting because, you know, if you're, if you were, if you've learned a skill or you've learned something and then you're not in and around it for 10 years, yeah. you know, th things change over 10 years, even in the law. And so um, it was a little intimidating to be like, okay, I haven't done this for 10 years. I've missed out on 10 years worth of, you know, how things work. That's, that's what we did. Um, and I ended up doing real estate law to begin with, which 
I still do some of that. And it also kind of gets me out of my office. But um, I did that to begin with until I could really just sort of, okay, what is it that I really want to hone in on? And so I took a course from an attorney, um, female attorney in New York City. So fantastic. It was a six week course. And um, she was so just like, okay, we're, we're going to help you figure this out and not figure out how to practice law. It was more of like, you know, let's figure out what makes sense for you. How, how does it make sense for you to practice, you know, and um, finding the people that you should be serving, like figuring out who is it that you should be talking to, you should be serving so that you do have a fulfilling career. And so, um, you know, that experience, I mean, I can't place enough value on that experience. And at the time, it, I think the course was like five or $600. And that seemed like it could have been, it might as well have been a million because it just felt like I was stepping off a cliff, you know, and, um, but she, she really taught me how to niche down and she was like, well, Angie, you know, who have you been hanging out with for the last 10 years? And I was like, well, all these creative people, what have you been doing? I'm like, I mean, I've been creating myself, you know, and, and she said, well, you know, what, do you have an email list? And oh, yeah, we have thousands on our email list. She's like, okay well, those are your people. And I was like, oh, I mean, it was literally like a light bulb epiphanal moment. I mean, <laughs> I, all of it, like in a flash, all of these conversations I had had at market with different peers of mine that, you know, I would, you know, we would have these conversations where like, oh, who's your designer for your brand? It's me. And I hated telling people that because I felt like I wasn't I didn't measure up because I didn't have an art degree. I didn't have a design degree. And they're like, oh, you don't have an art degree? I'm like, no. They're like, okay, well, that's, how did you, how did you generate all of this stuff? You know? And, and I'm like, well, I have, I have a law degree. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, we, I, you know what? That's so great. Cause I have this issue with copyright or trademark or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I appreciate you telling me all of that, but I'm just trying to take care of my own little red wagon here. And so, you know, I kind of filed it away, but just didn't really put a whole lot of thought into it. And so when she said that, like, those are your people, all of those conversations in a flash just like came back to me. I'm like, you're so right. Those are my people. And so after that conversation, I pretty much just was like, okay, I know what I need to do. I know where I'm heading. And then I just went full steam ahead and have not looked back. So, How did you overcome the imposter syndrome? <laughs> I love, I seriously love this question um, because I, I truly did deal with it um, throughout the entire time that I owned my creative business. Um, and it was probably one of the biggest, I tell people now, it was probably one of the biggest mistakes I made in running that creative business because people want to know who the person is behind the brand. Like what, what is their story? What are they about? Like what made them do all of this? You know, like how did mm -hmm. they, how did they come up with, you know, <laughs> I literally had thousands of designs. Like what, how did you come up with all of this? You know, people are, I'm fascinated by it. So why would I not think that other people would be fascinated by it? You know? And um, I just, I honestly, I really struggled with that. And my husband was like, Angie, he kept telling me, he goes, you, people want to hear from you. They want to know who this person is that's coming up with all this bright, colorful stuff, you know? And I'm like, yeah, no, you know, I, I really did. I mean, it, like I said, it was probably the biggest, biggest mistakes I made in the business. Um, but, but <laughs> when you create a law firm and you have your name on it, 
because the law in Georgia requires that your name somehow be associated with the firm that you create, okay. <laughs> um, then you can't really shy away from that anymore. And so, um, so now, you know, it's actually, it actually like, because someone else said, that's what I have to do. That's what I do. And so I don't really, I just do it, you know, and, um, and, but I did struggle with it, but, but now I can see looking back, you know, 40 something year old Angie could tell 30 something year old Angie, like, Hey, you, you really, you're, you're really overthinking this and people want to know you and people want to know about you. And, um, and I just was way too up in my head about the whole thing. So that just means that you have a brain that's working and you're just in overdrive. Is your brain always just running? Because you are creative. You have like both equal parts working and you're an introvert and an extrovert too, right? Yeah. Are are you just always going? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily physically, but my brain is always just like, I do have to intentionally like, okay, I'm shutting down. Like I'm, 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 (laughs) I'm, I'm not doing law. I'm not doing something creative. I'm going to go watch, you know, British baking show. (laughs) I'm going to go watch somebody else go be creative. Like I love stuff like that where I can just, you know, I mean, it still feeds that part of me, but I'm not actively, I can be a passive observer, you know, but, um, but yes, I always have ideas, but, but honestly, that's what I love about my practice is, you know, people, my clients come to me, they have all of these ideas. And then, I mean, not that they're paying me to, for me to tell them what my, my ideas are, but, but I, but that does add value to what I do because I've been in their shoes before. So I have a different perspective than say, just, you know, another attorney who's only practiced law and hasn't owned a creative business or, or even another business just in general. So you talked about ideas a little bit and, um, I took a note, a mental note. Ideas are not protected until they're in, produced. Is that what? Yes. So, so that's um, speaking to copyright. And so, you know, that's probably one of the bigger issues that I deal with my clients is cop- copyright. And um, a lot of times people say like, oh, they stole my idea. And I'm like, well, your idea really is not protectable in the way of copyright registration or protection. Your idea might be protectable. Don't tell people about it. Or if you get some sort of contract or agreement to have a conversation around that idea that protects that conversation so that they can't disclose the idea or run off and go do the idea themselves by themselves. Um, But yeah, generally speaking, ideas are not protectable. How do you get credit for your ideas? So if you come up with an idea, you quote, quote, give it to somebody and then they put it into action, then it's really theirs, right? Yeah, no, I mean, that's like the worst thing. Yeah, it's like the worst thing you could ever do is like if you have an idea and you go tell it to somebody else, you don't have any sort of contract or agreement to protect the conversation that you had when you disclosed that idea to them then then they are free legally even to run off and and do that idea so or if if you were to let's say you were to um have an idea and you you know like i have this great idea i'm gonna put it in my stories and see what the feedback is you know i mean that's a that's a plausible 
situation um, and someone you know i mean it could be just like even a troll you know i mean it doesn't even have to be somebody you know and i mean because people are on instagram all over the place right and so they could see that on your stories see that idea and then be like oh that's a good idea i think i'll use that you know and um do you, do you think it's bad practice to share your ideas for an, and i'll give you an example i'm extremely creative i'm a savant of creativity like i just cannot help it. So everybody I run into and I'm, and we visit and if they're creative, I might pop in like with June St. George, I'm like, Oh my gosh, have you thought of doing a fiesta tree skirt or tree skirt? And I fully want these people to take these ideas and run with it. Like I would love to see them in fruition. My creative, my, my creativity is a, a gift and I don't realize the value of it. So I'm always just brainstorming and coming up with things because I am an extrovert and that's how I process. Right. I don't think twice about it, but if you are, if that's your job is to come up with things and create things for your brand. So you need to take your idea and keep it private and put it into action to keep it to be protected. Right. So if you, if you have an idea, like if it's, if it's your idea and you don't have any intentions of, you know, collaborating with somebody else, then you have the idea, you work on it, you, you know, analyze it, nail it down so that it's not an idea anymore. It's more, it's more concrete. Tangible. Yeah. Concrete and tangible. So um, like if you have an idea for a painting, if it's just an idea, then, then you don't, you may have some sketches or you may have some, you know, point. Cause it's non-existent. It's in your brain. It's an right. idea. It's That's right. 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 So then it's not like if it's just if it's in that form, then there's no way. I mean, you can't go to the copyright office and say like, hey, here's the idea, but I have no way of demonstrating what it is. Let me register it. That does, like it just doesn't that doesn't happen. And so there's no way to do that. And so so copyright before you can gain protection, it has to go from your brain to a tangible form of expression. And it's that expression of whatever that idea is, because you and I could have an idea I mean, we could have an idea for a, a monogram mug and what your, in your mind, what that looks like and what I, in my mind, what that looks like, the design on that mug could be completely, I mean, yes, it would have a monogram, but it could be some two completely opposite ideas, two completely mm -hmm. just in two different realms, right? right? And so it's the expression of the idea that gets protected, it's not the actual idea itself. So like the painting, like when someone paints something, they have an idea to paint like a, a landscape. Well, then they have it up in their mind and then they commit it to the canvas and now it's a finished piece. Okay. That's the expression. That's the tangible form of expression of that idea now. And that's what gets protected is that, that expression. Okay. I know there's different avenues and I kind of want to clear up some what some terms and things made neat mean but protection so yeah. so we talked about protecting our ideas but you mentioned registration when did yeah. can you explain what even registration is and why why do you need to register anything and yeah. what's a trademark and what does it mean when you <laughs> copyright something I mean all this stuff can be so overwhelming and creatives you know our brains think one way. And then when we hear these things, it can be very overwhelming. So the way is I want people to know that you exist, your job exists, and that you are 
here for creatives and we don't even know that we need you. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And so I just think you hold so much value in our world and I'm so grateful that I got to meet you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, the difference between copyright and trademark, copyright protects all the created things, not all, like not literally all, but so, but generally speaking, it protects, um, pattern design. It protects, like, if you have a fabric design, it protects, um, you know, music, the, you know, whatever writings you might have, um, photographs, paintings, jewelry, architectural plans, um, and what does that mean to copyright something? Nobody else can copy and do what you've done. You have right, the right. So, so when you copyright something, and and you you own the rights when you create whatever it is. So, like when I was talking about it, it goes from an idea in your brain to a tangible form of expression. You own the rights the minute it goes to that tangible form of expression. But you can't really do anything with it. You can't enforce the rights that you own unless you register them with the copyright office. And so the cop registration is a process where, whereby you make application. And that's something that, I mean, I, I do for my clients is I write the applications and then submit those applications on their behalf. And then once you, once the work is registered with the copyright office, then if someone, you know, heaven forbid, if someone copies your work, then you're in a much better position. You're in a position of strength. And so then you can hopefully enforce those rights because you have that certificate saying like, hey, I own this and you've copied it. And so you need to go do your own work. Um, <laughs> when you copyright something and you live in the United States, is it is it is that globally or is it only in the United States? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and it and it. So for copyright, when you copyright it in the United States, it is um, it is protected in the United States when you register it. Um, however, it also may be protected in other countries because of treaties that our country is are in have entered into with other countries. So there's and I, I don't want to get too <laughs> too technical, but um, there's a treaty, an international treaty called the Berne Convention. And I forget exactly how many signatories there are to it. But anyway, I want to say it's a, over 100. But anyway, the U.S. is one of them. And so those countries that are that are a party to that that treaty, that international contract, so to speak, um, then those countries extend the same protections. Like if you were like so let's say that my products were in the U.K., but I had copyright protected them in the United States. Okay, well, then if someone infringes, then they're going to extend the same copyright protection as if as if it were protected in the United States. You go to court and you fight for people that have been violated with their with their copyrights and stuff. Like, do you file paperwork and you handle that? like on the defense or are you on the offense? And am I even asking the right question? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question too. So my practice is purely transactional. So what that means is that I am not a litigator, so I don't go to court. Now that okay. doesn't mean that I don't advocate on behalf of my clients or that I, I mean, there, there's several steps before you, I mean, you don't find someone infringing and then just, okay, tomorrow we're going to court. Tomorrow we are right. filing papers, you know? So there are steps that can happen before that, and hopefully do happen before that to sort of really actually 
prevent or minimize the likelihood that that will happen. Because, you know, litigation is expensive. I mean, I, I always tell people, I mean, my motto, my mantra, my tagline for my law practice, whatever you want to call it, is if it's worth creating, it's worth protecting. And what I mean by that is it, you're going to, you know, if you're in a business, the value of your business is whatever it is you've created, whether it's content, whether it's, you know, products or designs, that's the value in your business. So if you've, if you've thought enough of it to that blood, sweat and tears and probably financial investments into it as well, then you should think enough of it to protect it, you know? And so cost, it does cost to protect. It's not usually free. It's never free. Um, but the cost of protecting because you're being proactive is much, much less than the cost of defending. So it's, it's generally speaking, it's nine, nine to 10 times more expensive to defend and you're not even guaranteed that you're that you're going to have a favorable outcome than it is uh, to to protect. So really, you're like a PSA. You're a prevention. You want to you want to protect people from ever having to go to court, to ever yeah. having to go to litigation. You're you're there to keep from all those things happening. Right. But if that does need to happen, you right. can go counsel, and you can always you, you you you're in the world. So if somebody needs to go to litigation, do you? Right. Well, you can so do what somebody else will do it. Right. So the way I handle that is I, I mean, because I've built my practice over the last 10 years, I have a network of attorneys that I will refer things out to. And I just had a situation just this year where um, someone was threatened with a multi-million dollar lawsuit. Okay. When, well, when I get that kind of letter right off the bat, like we're not going to, we're not going to play around. Like we're going to have the litigator on call and in the middle of this discussion from the outset, you know, um, so we did and, and they, you know, my client ended up having a favorable outcome. Um, they have not gone to court. It hasn't like paperwork has not like there've been, there's been no suit filed. And so, but that's what you, that's what you hire, you know, that's what people hire me for is to be able to evaluate that and to be, to be that proactive person on their behalf and to advise them how to be proactive, um, to protect. Um, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times we go to the doctor um, when we're sick, but the doctors are always like, please come to us when you're well, because we can always catch things at the outset before they even become an issue. And, and you're so much, you know, you're so much better for it. Right. And, and it is less expensive. I mean, it's still probably expensive, but like, you know, if they can catch something before it becomes a real illness or disease, then it's what it's the same concept. Yes. Yes, that makes sense to me. Okay, so a copyright is when you you register your idea to protect it, and you have the rights to copy your own work, but it's to protect people from other people from copying your work. Right, it's to protect whatever whatever it is that you've created. The cop that's what copyright registration is, um, and then you have the right as the copyright owner. You can you can produce it, you can manufacture it, you have the right to display it, you have the right to license it, you have several exclusive rights that you own, you have the right to make what's called a derivative work, a derivative work is something where, um, you know, this is the original work, and now I'm going to tweak it slightly. And I mean, we do this all the time where it's like, okay, here's the original, I'm going to make a couple changes. 
the new work, but it'll coordinate with this old work, you know, and um, it'll look good with it or it'll be slight, it'll be different enough that people will be like, oh, I want that one too. You know, I mean, we do all kinds of things like that and not even realizing that that's, that's what we're doing, you know. Um, so when you get into copyright, a lot of times the $25 million question is, well, so how much do I have to change of somebody else's stuff before it's not theirs anymore. Um, and sometimes it's phrased in a little, not quite so in your face. It's more of like, okay, what's the difference between copying and inspiration? You know, I get that, those, those two questions. And, um, but so, yeah, so, so the law is really clear and it's one of the few times where it's relatively clear. If you copy something like if, okay, here's work a, um, by artist A and here and you're your artist B and you're trying to you're trying to copy that work. If you're looking at that work and trying to recreate that, that's copying. But a lot of times we're a little more nuanced and subtle than that. I mean, we're a little smarter and a little more sly than that. And so like, okay, here's this work. Now what is it about this work that I could change that will make it different enough that it won't look like this original? If you're looking at that work with the intention of basically creating that work, but changing it, that's still copying because it's the intention behind it. You know, you're, you're not, you're not like looking at, you know, 10 different things and drawing inspiration from this, you know, stack of magazines or the, these art books, or, you know, walking into this store with these fabrics or looking at these vintage, you know, pieces or whatever, and then putting it all away and then saying, okay, now I want to create something that has the look and feel of all of those sort of the totality of all of those things that I've looked at, right? You're actually looking at the piece and like, how can I copy it, but change it just enough? If you're doing that, then that's infringement. Trademark. Yeah. What is the difference between a copyright and a trademark? So copyright protects your designs. So like, for instance, like my creative business, the copyright protects the designs that were on all of my products, like all the different patterns, all the different designs. Trademark protects the brand name. So the, the, the name of my company when I owned it was called Hype Stripe. So that was my brand name. That's the trademark. So I need, how can you do that if it's just like two normal names, like Blue Bonnet is a flower and a home is a home? Right. So, so it's trademark is, is it's the it's, name that you're protecting. So right. starter, the flounce dress and it, she's trademarked that, that flounce dress is trademarked. Right. Well, so it's more the name of the dress rather than the actual dress itself. Yes. Um, so, so if someone tries to call their dress, the flounce dress, mm. then that's so she's got a signature product and so trademark the way it works is this you can protect a brand name you can protect a logo you can protect a tagline you can protect a signature product and the way i like to explain it to people is everybody knows what mcdonald's is right yes um, so <laughs> yes, we do. everybody everybody knows right so mcdonald's just the word that's the brand that's the brand name then we have the golden arches that's the logo then, you know, at one point in time, they had a, a tagline on their commercials or they may still have it. I have no clue, but um, I'm loving it. You know, yeah. be like, da, 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 I'm loving I it. Love it. Yeah. So that's their tagline or one of them. Um, and then 
and then they have a signature product, the Big Mac. Like you're not going to go into Wendy's. You're not going to go into, you know, Burger King or Chick-fil-A and purchase a Big Mac. You're only going to go to McDonald's and purchase a Big Mac. Like that's their signature product. That's what they've named it. That's what, and when, and if you say, you know, you're talking to somebody and like, yeah, I went and got a Big Mac. You didn't even tell them where you went, but you told them without telling them because you, everybody knows what that signature product is without even having to see it. They just know it by its name. So that's a signature product. Um, so those are some of the ways that you can protect something through trademark. Um, you can also protect packaging. So like, um, for instance, if I were to describe, you know, a cute little turquoise box with a white ribbon, you probably would know what brand I was describing. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. See, I do. I mean, that's, the, that's the power of that is the power of trademark is that it's a source identifier. So you're are showing you who they are or telling you who they are through this brand name or through this branding. And so so that they don't have to say like, hey, I'm this company that makes these beautiful rings and they're, you know, luxurious and expensive and the highest quality. And, you know, you buy them in, you know, wherever they have New York and Boston and L.A. and wherever they have stores. You know, I mean, that's that would take forever to describe. I mean, who has time to describe a store like that when you could just say like, hey, there's this turquoise box, box with a white ribbon. Oh, I know that. That's Tiffany's. So that's how branding works. Do you get so tired of talking about law stuff? <laughs> no, I love it because it's the intersection of, of what I know on the analytical side of my mind. And I just feel like it's so important. I, I think it's so important for business owners to understand this because the two things that can take your business down faster than anything are financial and legal. And those are the two things that in particular women business, business owners absolutely hate to deal with. And I get it. I totally get it. But that's the very reason why I want to keep talking about it is because you don't even realize, not you specifically, but but you general, people listening in general don't realize like how important it is to have those two pieces as your foundation so that you can go out and create all the things. And, you know, once you have that foundation laid, then it's, then it's maintenance, you know, you know, it's just, like, okay, keeping up with it as opposed to defend or to keep moving, you know, recreating the wheel kind of thing. So I guess if I was doing another type of law, I wouldn't enjoy it nearly as much. But I love, I never get tired of hearing about people's businesses and their ideas to start a new business. To me, there's no dumb idea. I mean, when I started my business, I went to another attorney and the, per the attorney never said that, that, what, that me starting Hype Stripe was a dumb idea, but I never felt validated. I felt like it was more just like, here, you know, I'll do what you asked me to do. And that was it. And I was seeking more than just like, here, do what I ask you to do. I want more counsel. And that's what I try to do for my clients. Um, I, I came home from that meeting, you know, however many years ago that was, almost 20 years ago, golly. And um, I told my husband, I was so excited to go because I was going to talk to him about copywriting my designs, about trademarking, you know, the brand name. And I came home and was just so sort of deflated and disenchanted. And I was like, I'm not even sure I should even be doing this. And my husband was like, why? And I was like, I don't know. It just didn't feel, I mean, he, he was like, well, did he know what he was talking about? I was like, yeah, he did. And, but I just felt like this was a stupid idea. Like that's how I was made to feel. And I told my husband, I was like, well, I'm, if I ever practice law and I'm not going to, but if I ever do, 
famous last words. I know, right? Um, I'm not going to make my clients feel like that. And so truly with, with every fiber of my being, I, I try to be the cheerleader. I try to be the encourager. I try to be the one that's like, this is hard, but you can do it. And legal is not easy. I mean, it's not, it, it's easy to me because it's what I've studied and it's what I know. But, yeah. but even still, there's times when I'm like, hmm, this is, this has got me in a quandary. I got to figure this one out. I'm not quite sure how to handle this situation, you know, but I mean, it doesn't mean it's not, not able to be handled, but it's just going to take a little more digging and, and figuring it out. But I mean, if that's how I am about the law and I've studied it this long, you know, how much more difficult and intimidating can it be for my clients? And so I try to bridge that gap. I try to make it so that, I mean, I know it's probably not going to be quote, fun, you know, it's not going to be like riding a roller coaster, but hopefully it'll make, um, I'm going to distill it so that it makes it at least where my clients can understand it, see the importance of it and, and want to take care of it. What is the biggest piece of advice that you would, you just want to scream from the mountaintops? And I know you have your catchphrase, but it's uh, your motto. What is something else that just really stands out or is always on the tip of your tongue? But you have to refer, you're just like, oh, okay. They didn't ask me for, for yeah. advice, but yeah. you just see it. You just, I mean, you probably just all the time are like, oh, that needs yeah. to, oh, look, look what they did there. Oh, they, they copyrighted that. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Oh my God. I should have like a top 10 of that, honestly, because <laughs> I can't, I'm just like, as you're asking me this question, I'm sitting here like, okay, maybe that, no, this, no, that. Yeah. So um, I'll give you a, I'll give you a list of, some ones that I see that, that I see on a, on, on the regular, uh, first one would be, uh, if you're going to collaborate with somebody, don't give, don't talk about the idea until you have a non-disclosure agreement, like protect, protect that conversation. Um, so many times people are like, well, we talked about it, like, you know, and the, and then the collaboration goes sideways you know, they don't even get to the collaboration because the discussion breaks down. And I'm like, well, did you have an NDA that stands for non-disclosure agreement? No. Okay. Well then there's not a whole lot we can do here. You know, um, So that would, that'd be one. Another one is um, have a privacy policy in terms of conditions for your website. Like privacy policy is mandated by federal law and there's so many websites that don't have privacy policies. Really? Um, yeah. What do they need to have a privacy policy for? Like, is that just standard if you have like GoDaddy or whatever, they just have one on there or do you need to create your own? No, you need to create your own um, because GoDaddy doesn't know every business under the sun. And so that, you know, I don't even know if they have, if they have anything, but, but you should have someone craft that for you. The privacy policy is to tell, so your, your website is your virtual storefront or your virtual office, right? That's how I like to explain it to people. Um, and so when people come to visit you at your office or your store, then you want to tell them or you're you're required to tell them by law, um, you know, how I'm taking in this information about you and what I'm going to do with it. Um, so, so if someone comes to your website, like, do you use cookies? Do you do you ask for their email? Do you ask for their address? You know, do you ask what information do you do you ask personal information? Do you ask them? And then what do you do with it? Do you sell it to a third party? Do you, you know, save it? For instance, like if you go to Amazon, you know, and <laughs> I'm so guilty of like, I'll go, win quote, window shopping. I'll have 
5 million things in my cart, but I mean, I won't pull the trigger on any of it. I'll just put it there because it's easier for me to put it there than to try to remember where I was and how I got, how I got to whatever, you know, so I probably have like, same thing. I do the same thing too. I have like 578 things in my, in my, I would be just be like one, two or three. (laughs) I know. So I need to clean that out, which sounds ridiculous, but anyway, but so my point is, is that, so Amazon uses cookies, which is that thing that keeps it in your cart and then sends you an email saying like, Hey, you've got something in your cart. Or if you have, if you liked this, you might like that, you know, and that's, um, that's, they have to tell you in the privacy policy, that's how they're going to use the information they've collected about you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you say. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. That's how that works. You're, you're the expert. <laughs> You're the expert. Um, manufacturers. Yes. Out of the United States. Yes. And there are millions of hiccups. There's language barriers. There's shipping errors. <laughs> there's tariffs. There's unknown fees or the products that you get are not what you ordered. Um, how can you protect, how can a business owner protect themselves with the manufacturers? Because as you know, with copywriting, um, you can come up with this beautiful design for a smocking plate and that is the one that you want to do, but it's, it's not necessarily the pattern. It can be the colorway or the fabric or whatever. Can you, you know, copyright something like that with a manufacturer? Yeah. So if it's a smocking plate, you may be able to protect the design. Um, there are a couple things you might be able to protect with the actual because it's um, like an idea and then you tell them, Hey, I want you to put this on my garment. Well, they have to construct the pattern. They do. They're doing all the work. You're just saying, Hey, you know, and I'll give you an example. Cause it's, it, it's been there and done that white pumpkins. I was the very first one to ever do white pumpkins on a smocking plate. Mm. And I love white's my favorite color, even though I'm the color consultant because it goes with everything. Right. So all shades of white. And so I did not, personally at the time did not like orange orange was such a turnoff it was so harsh and I wanted yeah. something really sweet and so I did it was autumn elegance and it was on this like Tiffany blue color fish I had a bishop and then I had a two-piece set and I did pearl details and a geometric design on the top and the bottom and then these white pumpkins on it and it was gorgeous I have not seen it I've, I don't remember seeing it since but um I did do it and I loved it. And, you know, how, you can't, pr- I mean, it's just the color of the yarn. I mean, anybody can do that. I didn't create the pattern. The manufacturer created the pattern. But if you create, did you create the sketch like for the concept to, to have it smocked? I don't remember. I don't yeah, know. So, so, so I mean, I, I just, you know, I probably showed him a, a picture of a pumpkin. Like I like this shape or whatever. I don't think I drew it out. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a way to protect it. I mean, I think you would have to probably have some some sort of sketch. Um, I mean, they could produce, but I would be under, like, I would have a contract before I ever gave them that information, you know? Well, because there are, there are things that you come up with, with manufacturers, and then you see your competitors then copying you and doing the exact same thing. And I had to, I fired um, I was in the process of firing a manufacturer when I found out they were doing something like that with one of my smock designs that I have for my children's clothing line 
and they contacted the other company that they were doing that with and they pulled it and they said we're sorry we can't do that that's not that we don't have the right to do that we did and they I don't they weren't they weren't trying to be sleazy about it which was so nice that's not that's not standard and I can say brands that copy people's work and the manufacturers that they use but it's not it's not warranted that's all (laughs) but yeah manufacturers everywhere and the communication because language is you know English is not the first language so there is that barrier yeah I mean I think in those situations I mean I think it's like that quote um speak softly carry a big stick you know, I mean, you can be, you know, kind, cordial, you know, professional, but like make them, you know, make them aware that if they do something that you, you will enforce your legal rights to your designs. A lot of times that even though you never, ever have to act on it, just sort of stating that and when it when and where it's appropriate will deter some companies not all companies you know some people are just bad actors you can't and then that's and that's what we have the court system for honestly you know but but some people aren't and if you and if you put it out there to begin with like hey if you if you do something that's not if this situation goes sideways and you're not acting above board, then I will pursue my legal rights. But I mean, the easiest way to, to say that is to have a contract in place at the outset because you that can always. True. Yeah. And you could probably tell what their ethics are by what you're presenting to the table. I mean, right. if, if you're going to the table and saying, Hey, I like this, I need you to do this, this, and this, and you're bringing other people's work and basically asking somebody to copy them, you know, their ethics right then and there. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, like I had a client um, in the past that um, she asked me to draw up an NDA for her and this other person who she was potentially going to talk to about a collaboration. And so I was talking to her and I said, well, you know, what is this for? And she explained, explained to me what it was for. And, and I said, well, you know, I could just tell by the way she was talking to me, she had some hesitation, just her body language, her tone, it was just very clear. There was some hesitation. I was like, what is your, you know, I can tell there's hesitation. What's the problem? And she's like, you know, I just feel like this person has a lot more following than I do. Like it would be nothing for her to take this idea and run with it. And I said, well, that is why you need to have this non-disclosure agreement before you even, before you even open your mouth about whatever the idea is that you want to, or wherever you think you want this potential collaboration to go. This is exactly why you need that. So she's like, okay. So I drew it up. She said, well, what if, what if she won't sign it? And I said, well, then that's where there's a fork in the road and you as the business owner get to decide which way you're heading, you know, you can move forward, even though she doesn't sign it. Um, I don't advise that, but that's up to you. You're the business owner, right? do I can only tell you what I think you should do legally I can't make you do it and I said but your other choices that you know view that as a red flag and like maybe maybe this is a protection on you know keeping you out of a situation that you don't really need to get yourself into and so sure enough she presented the non-disclosure agreement to this other party and they would not sign it well the rest of the story is this person has created more drama 
in the industry that they operate in. I mean, I've heard so many different stories about this one company creating legal issues, copying people's stuff, um, taking it overseas, you name it. And, but, but this person that I represented now is protected from that because she never entered into a collaboration with them to begin with. Like that was, that was a lifesaver for her. You know, she didn't get in the middle of it. She's on the outside watching everybody else fight it out, you know? Oh my goodness. I need a part two with you. <laughs> okay. Well, that's really good advice though, to just a non-disclosure. Can we explain what a non-disclosure is and, so that, and what that consists of? Because I had a non-disclosure with a global paint company that I couldn't do anything that would, that could be and compete with them that would mm -hmm. conflict a conflict of interest. And so when I, they recruited me and I signed it because I wanted to get insurance and benefits and all the things. And then after we got laid off, you know, our non-disclosure in order to get our benefits and our package and, you know, our things, you know, we couldn't practice and do what we were doing for ourselves, for, you know, on like what we were doing for them, we couldn't go off and do on our own for, I think, 60 days or something like that after we were laid off. I can't remember what it was. And we all honored it. <laughs> we were all yeah. very on point with it. And we understood why they had it. Right. But it was such a big global company. It was, we thought, you know, nothing we could do would hurt you guys because you're so big and we're so little and it seemed really unfair in the middle of a pandemic and getting laid off unexpectedly everybody was super depressed and so upset and then we couldn't we couldn't work then we weren't allowed to work right we, so non the non you know the non-compete so the non-compete yeah. and the non-disclosure those are two different things are they within the same thing like what is so I like to treat them separately. A lot okay. of times you may, you know, they, they operate, they're, they're related. They're like first cousins, but they're not, okay. <laughs> they're not, they're not the same thing. Um, okay. They're definitely related. And so a non-disclosure um, is an agreement that, that says, Hey, okay. So faith and I have this idea or we, we think we have some opportunity where we could collaborate. Okay. So, you know, you may loosely say like, Hey, I, I think we really, we have some common ground. There's some things I think we could collaborate on. Let's, let's schedule a time to talk. Okay, great. So now you've set, you've said all that. You haven't said a whole lot about what it is you want to talk about, but now that's the time from that conversation to the next conversation to say, Hey, here's my mutual non-disclosure agreement. Do you mind executing it? It just protects the conversation for both of us. Boom. Yeah. Done. And so then you can have the conversation, you know, a week later, whatever it is, and hash out like, okay, these are actually the ideas. I think we could come up with this and, you know, we could add your designs here and this, my, you know, this over here and, and, and that, and you nail down what the collaboration is going to look like confidential, okay. confidentially. And also that agreement says, Hey, whatever I told you in the middle of that conversation, like if I told you stuff about my business that I don't, you know, it doesn't even have to be copyright or trademark information. It can just be proprietary information. Like if I had to tell you like, Hey, I work with this manufacturer to do, to use the, to 
you know, to get these components or whatever, then that information is going to be held in confidence. It's not going to be, you know, plastered everywhere and, and vice versa. So that's what a mutual non-disclosure agreement is. Usually when you have a larger company, um, they sometimes they'll do a mutual non-disclosure, but usually it's more one-sided. It's more like, Hey, we may tell you stuff about our giant big company. And like, if you tell us something about yours, we don't really care, but you better not, you better not tell anybody else about what we're telling you about our company. So, well, yeah, cause they have, they have people, they have investors and the stock market and all big, big things. So if you say something and misspeak or it's out of turn and that, and the snowball starts rolling and it gets bigger and it gets around town, you right. could affect Gazillions yeah. of dollars. So you do need to be, oh, you need to, you need to be mindful of the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's if right. you're working for a company and you have it non-disclosure. That's right. right. That's right. So um, the non-compete is, is slightly different. What it is saying is that, okay, if I, if I work for a company or if I'm, you know, if I'm an independent contractor and I'm and I'm working with another company. So basically, I'm not going to take the information that I've learned through my employment or through this, you know, working with this company and then go set up shop just like just like the company I just worked with. Mm -hmm. um, and those some so the the two key factors that that um, a court will look at and that and that attorneys look at when they're drafting that document is. Um, there are two things. One is the time frame that they're asking the party to refrain from doing whatever it is. So 60 days, which 60 days probably felt like an eternity, but 60 days is not an unreasonable amount of time in terms of it has to be a reasonable time that you're asking someone not to do something. Like if they had said 10 years, now that's not, that's ridiculous, right? That's not a court's never going to enforce that. And you would have had an uprising of whoever, whoever right. said that, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. What about if, you, if somebody's given you a non-compete of like two years and so much mileage of a radius to practice? Your right. Business? Right. So that's the other piece is it has to be reasonable in time and geographic scope. So those are the two, those two things have to be reasonable. So if it's like, you know, two years, that may be, some courts will consider that reasonable, but if it's like, okay, the whole state of Texas, okay, Mel, maybe that's not quite so, you know, they have, both have to be reasonable. It can't be one's reasonable and one's unreasonable. They both have to be reasonable. So, um, and, and what gets tricky too now is because we're so virtual or we live in a world that we cross back and forth between, you know, we're in person, we're in real life, we're brick and mortar, and then we're online all at all the time, you know? And so then how do you, how do you draft that? Not the time piece of it, but the geographic piece of it, because if you're online, you literally could be not just in the United States, you could be global, right? I mean, anybody could look at your website. So then it becomes more about sort of the industry or the, or like where, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to market to this crowd of people or I'm, I'm going to stay away from this specific industry. So it has, it becomes more of that rather than geographic. Do you have any other pieces of advice that you just are wanting to share with us? Because I'm so overwhelmed with the information 
head is spinning and <laughs> in a lovely way that you ha- like you are an encyclopedia you're the google you're the, no, creative, I'm not. Blog. You're the creative blog google so <laughs> it's like you know until you enter you know a hiccup if you will or you cross a bridge in your own world you're like what on earth what on earth do i need a lawyer for but right. it, but your message is you it's to protect you so you don't ever have to like need one or go to litigation you have yeah. you have all your t's crossed and your eyes dotted that's it i mean you know i mean it's really just as simple if if you thought enough of it to create the business to create the whatever the products or the services are that you felt like the world needed if it was if it was that important for you to do then it's worth protecting and i think I think in particular as women, we undervalue what we create like, Mm -hmm. oh, it didn't take me that long to do that. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. No, it actually is a big deal. And if you expect to get paid on it, then you should treat it like it's a big deal. And that doesn't mean you have to be, you know, ugly or rude about it, but you, but you can say, no, I own this and I'm going to take care of it and I'm going to protect it just like you would your house. Like, I mean, you thought enough of that to buy it. So you're going to protect it. You're going to take care of it. You're going to maintain it. It, It's the same thing with your creative property. Okay. Speaking of houses, I do this bit with all my guests and we talk about the paint colors in their home or business. Either one, it could be interior or exterior. Do you happen to know the paint colors in your house? Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. I don't know actual. I'm okay. I'm weird. My house (laughs) Did you mix all your own colors up and create them? And you have um, yes, some, yes, some. Um, well, for, so, but just for a second, hold on. Your husband is—he's a furniture designer and he has his architect degree, right? Is that what you said? He, um, he's a—he has a furniture design degree and interior design degree. Yeah, I, he might need to come on the podcast too. <laughs> he I mean, he's also a musician. But, he plays. Uh, uh, plays the, uh, the piano and the organ. He writes music. And, oh yeah. my gosh. How do y'all get anything done in your house? <laughs> well, it's really funny. Like he's very good spatially. He is very like, he's got that whole, like he's got the creative mind, but he, he took textiles when we were in college. So we went, we dated long distance. He was in college in North Carolina. I was in South Carolina and I can remember him taking this class textiles. I was like, Oh, I cannot wait for you to take this class. I'm going to learn so much about textiles. I don't know how I'm going to do that from three hours away, but I'm, I'm committed. Like I want to hear all the things he was like, Angie, I don't care about textiles. I'm only taking it because I have to, I couldn't care less. <laughs> I was so heartbroken over the fact that he did not share my love of textiles and pattern. So he's the spatial guy. He loves, and he loves like, um, like he worked for Heckman when he got done with his furniture design degree, which um, is a high end case goods company. And um, so all the wood finishes, he loves all that stuff. Me, I don't really care about that so much. So, so we're a good mix, but, um, but as far as paint colors, so I, I was going to say, as y'all are so creative, I can see y'all mixing and matching and altering the colors and going, Oh, I like, I need half of that one and half of that one. Yeah. So we, um, so our house is kind of a fixer upper when we bought it about 20 years ago or a little more than that. But anyway, um, it was, it was built in 1939. It's a, oh. Georg- a Georgian sort of classic Georgian style home. Um, and um, it has all the good bones that you would want in a house that age has a lot of 
really neat architectural features. And um, I actually read an article back when we first bought the house. It was in traditional home, I believe. And it was it caught my eye because this lady, this interior designer was doing redoing a house that was similar. You know, it was Georgian style. It was in Boston, right outside of Boston. And it had um, just all these bright colors, fun patterns. And, but, but also it went with the style of the house. Like that drives me crazy when you have a house that's a certain style and then you like take a left turn you know, with it. Um, yeah. Article um, that I kind of used as my inspiration for the inside of our home. Cause I was like, yeah, I can see how there's a lot of architectural similarities. This will translate. And so the sort of the quote that was the, the headliner quote was um, this, this designer had used green throughout the entire home. And I, if you don't know me, <laughs> then if you know me, you know that I love the color green. And so that, that article spoke to me and like the comment that she made in the article was that green is God's neutral. And, oh, and I, I mean, I was like, oh, I love that. And we live on 10 acres. And so there's green. I mean, we have, you know, all types of plantings and um, just it's a very old yard that has mature, lots of mature plantings. And so it, that just really spoke to me. And so so there's green in just about every room in some way, shape or form. But like, for instance, in the sunroom, it's like a really pale, um, really, really pale green and pink, um, pink and green in the sunroom. It's fun. It's light. I mean, it's not super dark, um, but we've used it. We've used some sh shades throughout the entire home, but, um, but some in like our family room, green mm -hmm. is sort of the, it's like a really pretty sagey green. Um, that's sort of the there's a lot of woodwork in that room, um, dental molding. And so we wanted that to show up. And um, so, yeah, I, I, my house is full of color. I mean, <laughs> you're like, I've got color everywhere. I don't know the names, but no, I don't know the names. Well, and I, I we had, so my, um, our foyer has this really busy sort of, um, wallpaper that's it's it's got like a cream sort of background and then um it has these leaves like shades of green leaves it's reminds me a little bit of um oh shoot um thistle what's the name of that um I'm the losing purple the, the purple no it, no not purple not thistle um oh shoot i'm i'm totally drawing a blank um ah I'll think of it when I get off the podcast. But anyway, um, it's this brand that I couldn't afford at the time. And they had they had upholstered the walls. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. So, I mean, I was in my 20s, you know. So, um, but I, I found wallpaper that sort of mimicked this same sort of, um, it was kind of a woodsy, um, but but with greenery kind of look. And that's what's in our foyer. And um, it just brings sort of the outdoors in, which... I think fits with where we live and, um, and it pulls sort of all the different rooms together. So our well, house is very traditional. Uh, it sounds really pretty with all the millwork that you have in the house. Yeah. Do you have any pictures on your Instagram of your home? Um, I do have, 
I think I do have one of the outdoors. Um, you do. Yeah. It's so pretty. Yeah, that's, the, that's the outdoors. Um, I don't know that I, and some, like, there's some pictures of our family, like, on the back terrace. Um, yeah, there's some pictures in the, yeah, um, on my Instagram, just, like, snippets. I mean, not just, like, full-blown views of our home, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I should do a, at Christmas, maybe I'll, I'll do, like, a store, like, a, series of stories because we decorate big for Christmas. Our kids get into it and decorating and baking are like our two big things at Christmas time. So. Oh, yummy. Yeah. I like that. Thank you so much for talking with me. I know it's early on a weekend, but I'm so grateful for your time. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled that we've crossed paths and I know we'll continue to Yes, we get to see each other in like six months, five months. I know. March. I know. That's right. I know. I'm so excited you're going. You're going to love it. I'm really excited. And I have been telling everybody about the NECC, New yeah. England Creative, wait, New England Coastal Creative. That's right. I've been telling girls about that because I didn't know about it till you told me about it. Oh. And I, I think, oh, it sounds wonderful. It just sounds like a nice, intimate, like smaller kind of group and um I love the coast I'm like any excuse to come out <laughs> and, and see like a whole nother part of the world and get to meet interesting people and other creatives and entrepreneurs golly that sounds like that's a winner winner yeah yeah well you won't be disappointed because the conference is is fantastic and Newport is just the greatest little spot. So it looks so cute. Yeah, it's great. I'm so excited. Thank you again. Thank you. Talk soon. I wanted to make sure y'all knew how to contact Angie if you need her services. She can be found on Instagram. Her account is called Angie Averd Turner Law. A-N-G-I-E-A-V-A-R-D-T-U-R-N-E-R-L-A-W. AngieAverturnerLaw.com is her website. And don't forget that she has the Angie Aver Turner Show. Her podcast can be found, I believe, on Spotify and Apple as well. So make sure and check her out. See you next time. My name is Faith with Blue Bonnet Home.